part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. If you haven't been here the last six or seven weeks, we've uh, been in a marriage series, and, and there's really two emphasis in that marriage series. Uh, part of that marriage series has been very much what is a Christ-centered, what does that look like to have a marriage that is Christ-centered, not man-centered. The other part of that is really trying to make very, very much of this whole idea of covenant, the covenant that God created with man that he's really made the basis of a biblical marriage, this covenant relationship. And so this morning as we come, we're going to kind of end on something that uh, is kind of a little bit more practical, very much found in the scriptures, but, uh, but kind of a practical end of that, and that is how do we protect marriage? What, is, what has God given us in order to protect marriage? I was doing some research this week just about protection, and I came upon some really startling facts uh, about home invasions and how, you know, uh, it's hardly a week that goes by that you don't hear of somebody that kind of broke into the home and, and just the fear that that begins to create in our hearts and our lives of, of just the vulnerability that comes from that. And uh, some interesting statistics. Number one, that uh, a home is broken into every 14 seconds. It's kind of overwhelming. Uh, most of them incur, occur during the day from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And uh, most break-ins come through the front door, not the back door, not some window or that. But it was the last little part of that kind of information from the FBI that startled me. And that was that 41% of the homes that are broken into are broken into homes with an alarm, but the alarm was not turned on. It was left off. And I began to think about that just in that practical terms as I was doing the this research for, for this uh, sermon and everything and, and began to think, you know, what a parallel, what an illustration of, of a lot of marriages. That sometimes, you know, <laughs> we just think, well, that could never happen to us. You know, my marriage is good. Or, or you, know, you know, this could never happen. That could never happen. And yet... We've got an alarm system. God has given us his very spirit if you're a Christian. He's given you at least the conscience. If you don't know and have not trusted Christ, he's given you a conscience to tell you right from wrong. And yet we have all these things, and yet sometimes we just allow those two things to go silent or we turn them off. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in a predicament in our marriage. And so this morning we're going to look at seven different things that are uh, there to, to help us protect our marriage. And it's all going to be found kind of around this one verse, 1 Peter 5, 8. 1 Peter 5, 8. So if you have your Bibles open up, if not, it's right up here. Uh, we can read along together, but 1 Peter 5, 8. And that's going to be kind of the springboard. Uh, we love expository preaching here. Uh, we love to just be able to go from this verse all the way down and just expose that truth. Uh, Truth is, there's just not a whole bunch in the Bible, except for what we've already covered, uh, about marriage. God just says these few things, and he says, okay, do those few things. He doesn't expand and go on and on and on about marriage, because he gives us the foundation. He he says that, you know, you have this covenant relationship. He establishes what is right and holy and true, and he doesn't say a whole bunch more. And yet he tells us a whole bunch about spiritual life. I don't know that we always really consider marriage to be a spiritual event. But folks, I I promise you, at its core, it is a spiritual event. God intended in the Garden of Genesis chapter 2 for it to be a spiritual event. When he says the two shall become one, it is a spiritual event. 
Now, you may not be a Christian. You may not have been a Christian when you were married. But I promise you, even then, in that idea, in the heart of God, marriage is a spiritual event. So it makes perfect sense to me that it also would come under spiritual attack. Now, let me tell you real quick. I know I've only been here six and a half months now. And uh, some people may wonder, okay, well, Bobby, what is your whole idea about Satan and temptation and spiritual warfare? Believe in all three because they're in the Bible, okay? But here's the thing. There's a lot of things that we sit there, well, you know, just the devil made me do it. No, your old man made you do it. The lostness of your old man, you allowed that old man to creep up. We blame a lot of things on Satan, folks, that is just our own old self and that old corruption. And we haven't died to that and let Christ live in us. But there are some things that truly are just satanic attacks. Think about it this way. God designed marriage and the fam- marriage to be the, the cornerstone of family. And then marriage and family to be the cornerstone of all culture and society. This is the building block upon which he has put all the world. He established in Adam and Eve this core foundation and then he said, okay, I'm going to build everything else upon that, not upon, you know, um, you know uh, government or this, that, and the other. He, he said, no, upon this foundation of the family. So if you're Satan and you really want to attack a culture or a people, where would you go? you go to that core. Have you ever played Jenga? That's that little game where, you know, it's all put together, and, and when it's your turn, you have to pull out a part, hoping that the whole structure doesn't come down. Well, in a way, we're in a spiritual Jenga and, and that marriage is there. And Satan, I truly believe that he is sitting there trying to pull out some of those foundational pieces that God has established in his word. And, and we're watching marriage both as an entity and, and, and also just in, in the, uh, uh, the beauty of what God ordained. We're, we're seeing that starting to crumble in our society and our culture. So it's not surprising to me when I open up the Bible and it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a ruined lion seeking someone to devour. In other words, the Bible doesn't ever kind of sell Satan short. He says this is, this is, spiritual warfare is real. When you're trying to live for Christ, not only do you have this old man still kind of competing for his selfish ways and the old prideful ways that we grew up before we trusted Christ, not only do we have that to contend with, but there is an adversary. There is another one who's coming in and trying to fill our minds with with lies. And so what does he tell us here? Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Turn on the alarm. Turn on this alarm because you know that you're going to be under attack. Uh, these are paraphrases, the message, uh, the amplified. I, I like that sometimes just for comparison. It makes me kind of think. I never do serious Bible study from a paraphrase. You always want to go to a true translation. But sometimes just to kind of you know, open up your mind, say, okay, how else could you look at this passage? The message says, says that verse this way. Keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep up your guard. Well, I like that. The devil will like nothing better than to catch you napping. And maybe napping in that very place that you say, well, that's probably the most secure part of my life. You know, all these other things. My job is insecure. You know, the future is insecure. All these, my finances are insecure. But at least my marriage is secure. And so sometimes we can kind of go on autopilot 
33 years of counseling with couples. They come in every age, every size, every variety, and every difficulty. And one of the most common things that you see after this pattern of 33 years is that a lot of it, they really were just caught napping. Got so focused on some other things that they kind of left the front door open. They didn't turn on the alarm. And all of a sudden they found themselves in that place where they were struggling in the midst of their marriage. So this morning I want to share with you seven things that I believe that, uh, that God has given us to help protect marriage in a personal way and in doing so protect marriage in that bigger picture for our culture to be able to see because we are marriage is a reflection of christ in the church we get that great honor to be able to reflect in a gospel-centered christ-centered you know grounded in covenant marriage we get this great honor to reflect the world christ in his church and that covenant that he will never break Folks, I don't want to alarm you. The purpose of this, this morning, this protection, is not to create fear. We are not to be people of fear. The Bible says that we are not to have a spirit of fear, uh, of, of, of timidity, but of power. At the same time, there needs to be an awareness that we would say, okay, God, since Satan would want to attack here, how do we defend that? The first thing is to prioritize your marriage. Everything that we've seen from Genesis on has been this picture of leaving what was familiar in the old and coming into this new relationship. Remember, several weeks we looked at Genesis chapter 2 and Adam and Eve in that first marriage. And in Genesis 2.24, remember these words, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's a leaving, remember, and a cleaving that we said together. They were leaving mother and father. They didn't turn away from mom and dad. They still go over there for Thanksgiving and Christmas. You didn't abandon mom and dad. But there's a new priority in your life. All of a sudden, you know, many of you know my oldest daughter got married last year. And I was replaced. My youngest daughter is getting married in December of this year. And I've already been, you know, replaced there. And that was hard on me as a daddy, you know, having daddy's girls and, you know, kind of them coming to me for advice and different things. And all of a sudden, they really don't come to, for advice that much anymore. And so I hear, well, Trevor says, well, Dalton says. And I can get irritated and hurt by that. Or I can say, God, thank you that what you ordained in the beginning before there was even a mom or dad to be had, that you had a pattern that this new relationship of husband and wife were to be the priority earthly relationship that you have. Now, let me say, God has not called all people to be married. God has called some to be single. But many God has, the majority God has called to be married. At some point in life, you know, even those that may not be married yet say, well, I aspire to be married. And that maybe God has called you into singleness. And so listen carefully about what God says. He says, I want you to know that this is the top earthly relationship. Where that gets really confusing is sometimes we allow other very important relationships to try to get that top rank, namely our children. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, always said discernment is... Is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment 
is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Right and wrong, that's pretty easy. Right and almost right, now that's kind of closer. And that's how it is when we have children. If God blesses us with children, all of a sudden those children come in and we're going, you know, this needs to be priority. And, And the Bible says, no, that your marriage is priority. As we preached about three, four weeks ago, the more that you make marriage, that relationship, the priority earthly relationship, not the spiritual relationship with your Heavenly Father, but the earthly relationship, your children benefit from that. They grow up in a home of security. They grow up in a home where it's modeled biblical marriage. Man, we have a basic wiring that I believe that God put into our DNA before the fall. I I think it was when he breathed life into Adam, I think that he put into the heart of every male, every man, a heart, a DNA of providership. Not just the responsibility to provide, but a joy to provide. You know, when I was growing up, Christmas was all about, hey, I became a husband and then a father. I could care less if I ever got another gift. There was a joy on Christmas morning sitting back and watching my wife and my children open up gifts. Folks, that providership, man, has been corrupted by the fall. Sin came into it, and so we get kind of really off track. But I think it's still part of that original DNA that God has called us to provide. Ladies, he's put in you a heart of protectorship, to protect the family, to make sure that everything's you know, there's no better joy than when all the kids are around the table, you know especially once they grow up and they move off. And you get them home Thanksgiving or Christmas and everybody's there. My wife is one, one happy woman. She really is. Why? Because there's in, in the heart of woman, before the fall, before sin came in this world, he put into the heart of, of, of this mother-to-be, Eve, this DNA of protectorship. Well, this providership and this protectorship are not bad things, only they've been corrupted by the fall. And so sometimes, because of the fall and because of our own selfishness and and because of the corruption of that, sometimes we get things out of line. And folks, I'm, I'm telling you, this is one area that I've seen repeatedly over and over again. I love my girls. But one of the greatest temptations is to move children up the rank and put them above the marriage. Let me put this little caveat. There are seasons in life when that has to happen. But that's not the normalcy of what God intended. There are certainly days, hours, maybe weeks, maybe even months, when you have to kind of do that just for that season of life. But that's not, well, when they're born to the time that they're 18. No. You need to be teaching them what it's like to have a a biblical covenant-centered marriage. And it's so easy on this particular one to kind of make the children the rule instead of the exception of the rule. Second thing, not only are we to prioritize marriage, but to protect our marriage, we need to, to have our own, we need to prioritize our own spiritual growth, our own personal growth. Have you ever watched Natural Geographic and watched A Pride of Lions go after their food. And they kind of get together and they kind of calculate, I guess in lion speak, and they look over the herd or the flock that's before them and, and they pick out the weakest one. 
And none of the lions are going, well, that's just not really fair because we're big and kind of strong and, look, that's just a little baby. No, all they're worried about is one thing, dinner. And so they pick out the weakest, the slowest. They don't care if it has a limp or that. They will go, and then that pride of lions will attack. Well, I want you to know that that's what happens. When we read this verse, it says that Satan is like a roaring lion. Folks, there is nothing about, well, this just isn't fair. This just happened to me, and this just happened to me, and this isn't fair for Satan to continue to attack. He does not care. He's got one thing in mind, to separate you from his enemy, that is the Father. And if he can put a little wedge, C.S. Lewis began to describe that. If you've ever read Screwtape Letters, he describes it so well. He says if he can just put that little wedge, and he'll start knocking that wedge so that there's more and more separation. That is the tactic of Satan, and it's certainly in place there in our marriage. And so when we begin to think about marriage, 99.9% of the time when people come in for marriage counseling, their heart's desire is for me to fix their spouse. I mean, when we get one-on-one, they don't say it when the spouse is there, but when, you know, when we're just talking about, well, you know, I'm, I'm just hoping that you can straighten him out. I've been trying for 17 years, and I can't get through that thick head, but I was hoping maybe you, the pastor, could. Well, I talked to him, and he's saying the same thing. I, can you talk to my wife? Folks, here, here's the deal. When we go to a point of crisis in the marriage or conflict in the marriage, so oftentimes our own personal mind goes to what do they need to have fixed in their life? When Christ always says, as we looked at several weeks ago, you know, what about you? And so your own personal walk with God is going to be one of the biggest indicators of success in your marriage. I, I can promise you that. I can promise you that the closer that you walk with your Savior, the better spouse you will be. The Apostle Paul said that he wasn't talking about marriage in general, I mean, specifically, but he was talking about general of the Christian life. He said this in Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13. He said, put on then, in other words, like clothes, put this on your life as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That whole direction is, okay, when you put on Christ, when you live in Christ, these are the things that become a part of who you are. You take that into marriage, and all of a sudden there's patience when there wasn't patience before. There's forgiveness when there wasn't forgiveness There's all these qualities of the Holy Spirit working in your life, the fruit of the Spirit working in our lives. Why? Because all of a sudden our wife or our husband changed? No, because we came before a holy God and we said, God, I need change in my life. Let me give you three things that happen when you draw close to God, when you have your own personal walk with God on the maturing end and it's growing. Here's four things that will happen to your marriage. Number one, it takes the emphasis of change off of it's their fault and it puts it back onto you to say, okay, how can I improve this? Secondly, it will give you wisdom and patience and love. All this for the Spirit. Three, you won't come to the marriage needy. That's probably the biggest thing. 
when you are satisfied in Christ in your own personal walk, you don't, you're not looking for another Savior. You're not looking for somebody to give you that thrill or that uh, uh, fill up that emptiness within you. The greatest burden, when I sit down with couples and I go through the pre-marriage counseling, one of the things I tell them, I said, guys, don't ever put the burden on your future spouse that only Christ can carry. Because not only will you never be satisfied, but you have done them the greatest injustice ever. So if we come and we're maturing in Christ, we won't come needy. And the fourth thing is that you will be more accepting of your biblical role in marriage. God has called men to, uh, uh, to lead, to be spiritual leaders. And the more that we are growing in Christ, we will not see that as a duty as much as a calling. Let, let me kind of differentiate between those two words. A duty is something that you have to go do. How many of you grew up and you had a, uh, at home, you had a list of things, that chores that you had to do? Yeah. And, and those were duties, okay? You didn't just wake up in the morning and go, Mom, is there anything else I can do? I, I did all the chores already. I just, I, I just, there's a difference between duty and calling. Calling, there's joy in. Calling is there's something within you that is kind of motivated in calling you and, and you find fulfillment in doing that calling. The more that we are growing in Christ, the more that we will see in our representative roles of marriage, guys being the spiritual leaders, uh, ladies uh, being those ones that come and, and you're submissive to your wife, I mean to your husband. And again, we've already clearly defined that. That doesn't mean that you're a, uh, uh, something beneath them. No, you're right there as a partner with them. But we begin to say, okay, this is how God has designed this to work out. And you gladly give that spiritual leadership over to your husband. And guys, you gladly take those reins, not as a duty, but as a calling. So your own personal growth is so important. Third thing, quickly, regular church involvement. The big difference between just going to church and being involved in a church. Uh, church is not a cure-all. For any ill. Sit, you, you can sit here and you can come back next week and the week after and the next week. And, and folks, it's not going to cure you, you will, of any of the things that, that come into your life and the sins and the, all the different things. Sitting in church doesn't, it's not the answer that God has. But, but here's the thing. Church involvement is God's will for the Christian. <laughs> to be involved in a family and in a body of Christ, that is his desire. We see it throughout the New Testament that there's a people. We see that in the Old Testament. There was a people that he called out, and they were amongst a people. And being part of a people has so many, div- uh, so many advantages. Number one, it gives you accountability. It gives you people just to, number one, to, to say, hey, I haven't seen Fred in a while. Everything okay? So it gives you that accountability. It gives you also uh, a taste of reality. Every one of us have blind spots. But it's amazing when we sit down in life group, we find out that we're all sometimes struggling with the same problems. Satan had tried, tried to tell us that we're the only ones struggling with that problem. And we get in life group, we get into a, a small group setting, and all of a sudden we find out, you know, everybody's kind of struggling with that a little bit. And so it gives us accountability, but it gives us reality. It also gives us encouragement. This past week, when my dad passed away and... and uh, you know, the first time I've gone through something where somebody that close passed away in my life, 
and the encouragement. When you prayed over me last week, when you showed up uh, that night, many of you came out and were there. You sent cards. You've, you've texted. You've done all these different things. What an encouragement. We need that in our marriage. But it's also opportunity. That's why we really want to stress life groups. I mean, we love you on Sunday morning. Don't get us wrong. We love you. Keep on coming on Sunday mornings. But we really want you to get into life groups because it, it, it really that's where the spiritual growth and that accountability comes and that encouragement comes and that ability sometimes just to put their arm around you and say, man, we're praying for you because we know you've got a big Tuesday coming up. And sometimes we just don't catch that on Sunday morning, guys. It's not because we're uncaring. This is one of the most caring churches I've ever seen. Just in our passing and going, we don't have that much time together on a Sunday morning, mainly because the pastor stands up there the whole time and he wants to talk. But in a live group, we get to talk with each other, to learn of one another. And so what we see here is that regular church involvement, folks, I can give you all kinds of statistics. People say, well, yeah, I've heard that just as many Christians get divorces. No, people who may call themselves of a Christian faith but when they really start tracking it of people that were involved in the life of the church and in accountable relationships, that number goes down a whole bunch. I mean, a whole bunch. And so being a part of a regular church involvement, that's what God has ordained. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more as you see that end coming, the end times, those last days, that time of judgment. He says all the more you keep on and you keep with this body so that you can be in accountable relationships. Why? He says because you can encourage one another. It's a source of encouragement for you. Number four. Minimize relationships that don't support marriage. Not just your marriage, that don't support the idea of marriage. I would go as far, I, I kind of tamed it a little bit, to eliminate <laughs> relationships. But I still want us to be missional people. I still want us to go out there and, and have relationships with those people that don't always agree with us. But because you have to be very, very careful of living in a culture that does not hold marriage in the same biblical view that you would. It is so easy for us to begin to take on, well, that's right. I should be mad at him. I should be ticked off about that. I mean, you start talking it up around the water cooler, and it's easy to get support. Those are your friends. That's who you work with. Of course they're going to call your husband a dirty dog if you think he's a dirty dog. I mean, it's just going to, it's going to happen because they love you, but they're not really coming with a biblical basis, and so they may come in there and give you an agreement. And sometimes in our old selfish hearts, that's all we need is a couple people just to give a nod our way. I deserve this. I owe that. And we forget all about this call that we have as Christians to be patient, to be kind, to be loving, to be forgiving, and to keep this together as a covenant. So we have to be very, very careful with these other relationships. I firmly believe that marriage is hard enough without adding influences that are not conducive to marriage. And would, you, would you agree with that? I mean, is, anybody over here, is anybody here acing the whole marriage thing? I mean, you still have 100 on your test score. None of us are. It's hard. Why? Because you took two people, 
two fallen people, even though we've been raised in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, two fallen people who've been raised in Christ and we're still having to deal with our own sinfulness. And oh my goodness, heads will butt. Arms will lock. Opinions will be heard. And so God tells us there, okay, this is hard enough as it is. Don't get influences that are not going to bring you back to covenant relationship. They're not going to bring you back to Christ-centeredness. Because most of those people around the water cooler, most of them, uh, you know, I don't know your friends, but most of those conversations will take you back to a man-centered view of marriage rather than a Christ-centered, biblical-centered view of marriage. And it's easy to start believing when you're already hurt, you're already lonely, you're already frustrated. It's easy when you haven't had a pat on the back for a long time to start listening to somebody who actually pats you on the back and tries to encourage you, even if they're encouraging you in the wrong thing. And so you have to minimize those uh, different relationships. Surround yourself with people that believe these two things about marriage, that it's a covenant relationship. Just as God's covenant with his people and it's, that it's a covenant relationship. And number two, that believe in the transforming power of the gospel. Well, you'll just never change. How many people in the New Testament, Old Testament, that their culture around them said, oh, he'll never change. How many told the, the woman at the well? She couldn't even go get water with all the, at the time that all the other ladies went because she was an outcast, they already had her convicted, tried, and done with until she met Jesus that day. And then all of a sudden, the transforming power of the gospel touched her life. Surround yourself with folks that believe in the biblical view of marriage, covenant relationship, and the transforming power of the gospel. That doesn't mean that even if you do that, that every marriage will work out. But I promise you, when you surround yourself with those kind of folks, folks, you're three or four steps ahead of seeing that transformation take place in hearts and lives. You have people praying with you, encouraging you in that. Uh, one thing, just uh, I'm reading my notes here, and uh, uh, this is a stickler for me. We can talk about it later. You can email me. We can have lunch, uh, breakfast, supper. I-, I will take all the time that you want to discuss this. Never, ever, ever take your marital problems to a member of the opposite sex. Never, ever, 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 ever. Well, they're a good Christian person. He's old enough to be my dad. Seek out somebody of the same gender, in the same spiritual maturity then, but same gender. Guys, it's just, Satan is... He just, he's vile. He takes the, he's that lion that takes, chases after the wounded antelope. Not, not the, the one that's big and strong and fast. And when we're hurting in our marriage and we go to somebody because they may be a close work associate, I'm just saying, don't ever have lunch or, you know, no talking about your marriage frustrations with a member of the opposite sex. It is dynamite. It is dynamite. And you just don't want to get around that. Number five, real quick. Seek out Christ-centered, trained counseling. If you're having problems in your marriage, 
Don't let pride take you to a point of saying, you know, I don't need help. I am not saying that all pastors or that all Christian counselors that are gospel-centered can fix everything. We have no more answers than you have. But here's the role that we can play. There's a couple things that you get when you go to counseling. Number one, just the humility of going to counseling is one of those things. You've kind of let that guard down a little bit. You've kind of given in a little bit. And sometimes that's the encouragement that your spouse may need. But here's four things that you get from Christian counselor. Not all the right answers, but here's the four things. Number one, they help, they help you keep your eyes on the prize. A good Christian counselor, Christ-centered, helps keep your eyes on the prize. What is the prize? The upward call of Jesus Christ. Number two, help keep you Christ-centered instead of man-centered. Keep on focusing back on the truth of God's word and the truth of that rather than kind of the waves of the, of the culture. Uh, third, very practical, helps keep it civil most of the time. Uh, in my last church, I had a, a rather large office. It was pretty big, and my secretary was kind of two rooms away or kind of one room away, but it's separated by two different doors there. And so there was kind of some sound protection. And there were a few times that she said, well, that was a good one today, wasn't it? You know, that she would come out and she would, you know, an hour and a half later, I'm sweating bullets and coming out. And, and she could just tell not what the words were said, but that things were said, not in a silent way. But here's what happens sometimes. When you're at home and the frustration starts, isn't it easy because you're just at home? That that lower part of you, that selfish part, that frustrated part kind of comes out. But would you do that in front of the pastor? Probably not. So it's not that all of a sudden, you know, it's just that you raise your game a little bit because of, you know, even if it's just out of pure pride, you raise your game a little bit. But here's the thing that happens. When you keep it civil, you actually begin to listen a little bit more. One of the biggest things about going to a Christian uh, pastor or something like that, if you're having difficulties, is that they keep you accountable. Here's what happens in difficult seasons of marriage, guys. Marriages are very cyclical. And for some people, that's three good years and then two bad months. And then you sit back ten years later and you're going... Look, every three years we have three good years and then we have two bad months. Why is this cycle? For other people, it's three good months and a really bad week. It's amazing how cyclical we can be in some of our marriages. And so what happens is all of a sudden we say, okay, we're going to fix this. We're going to go get a, attention to this. We're going to give, you know, get godly counsel. But then all of a sudden you get out of that bad season and you kind of hit a good season. And you're going, good, we don't need him or her or whoever it might be that you're getting good gospel center. No. That accountability, we all need accountable relationships in our life. And we need somebody to simply ask. Like a lot of my homework when I'm doing counseling, again, this week I want you to take a 10-minute walk. And when you take the 10-minute walk, you have to hold hands. And it's like, I mean, I'm talking to 40-year-olds, and they're acting like middle schoolers. I'm not going to hold her hand. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) You're going to create intimacy. You're going to create intimacy. You're going to hold hands. You can squeeze if you want to, but you can, you know, you, you're going to hold hands. And sometimes it's like telling the two, if you've had two sons or two kids, go over there and give your sister a hug. I'll be glad to. <laughs> you know? And they get that, that choke hold on me, you know. 
sometimes it's as easy as something like that, but they know that the next Tuesday at our next session, I'm going to say, hey, guys, did y'all go on that 10-minute walk? Did you hold hands? Sometimes we need that. As grown adults, we need accountability. Number six, as we're closing, invest in your marriage. One of the keys to the covenant relationship and basis of the marriage is to realize that there will always be seasons, these kind of times in our marriage. And the covenant is what keeps everything together during those seasons of life. And there's a lot of practical ways that you can make investments. Uh, One, time. Just spending time together. Time says I love you. Time says I care about you. Time says you're worth it. So just spending time together. How much time? That's kind of you know, different from each couple. I, I literally had a woman one time that did this. She said, okay, we're going to start spending more time. And, and ladies, I would not suggest that you take this, this uh, tactic, okay? She comes home. They're sitting at the, the table. She gets out this timer. And she says, let's talk for an hour. It's 625. She pressed the timer and said, you start. Now, if you know anything about men, the thought of talking for an hour, for most men, we just might as well go on to the hot place right now. You know, it's just one of those things, okay, I I know I'm going to burn for eternity because the thought of talking for an hour. Now, there's some guys, you can't get them to be quiet for an hour, you know, but that's very rare. So don't take that approach. But time says, time says, I love you, I invest in you, you're worth it. Number two, partnership. One of the leading reasons why people start to feel uh, estrangement in their relationship is they don't feel like a partner anymore. And they don't feel like there's a team working on this. They feel like very much I'm a mom and very much I'm a this and very much I have all these duties. But I, you know, what I want is a partner in all this. Life is hard, but I, you know, I got married so I can have this partner. So invest in that partnership so that there's not that feeling of loneliness and that you feel like there's somebody there. And then uh, thirdly, initiate intimacy. That's a whole nother sermon because just that word intimacy means a whole bunch of different things to everybody in here. To most of the guys, it means pretty much one thing. I mean, seriously, not trying to be crude or anything, but to, to a lot of guys, intimacy is uh, just sex. You know, the, the partnership of coming together in that very sexual way. And for ladies, it's not always that. Intimacy isn't always that part, but it's everything else that happened that day. And, and that's why intimacy and partnership is so important. So that it's not just, you know, this moment in the evening or this moment here, but that it's really encompassing the 24-7. So invest in, in, in intimacy. But, but here's what I would tell both, you know, husband and wife. Initiate it. Initiate it. Whether that intimacy is that long walk and holding hands, initiate it. I'm just waiting for him to say it. I'm just, you know, I'll go on that walk if he asks me to go on a walk. I'll even hold his hand if he puts his hand out there. Initiate it. Let pride go. Initiate intimacy on all the different levels. Number seven, as we close, 
Start today. Start today. You could be here and have the best marriage out of anybody that's gathered here this morning. And I promise you, there's still room for us to improve and to put those things, to, to put a, this protection around our marriage. You can have a Christ-centered, covenant-based marriage this morning and still have room for improvement in these things. So that, that's what my encouragement to you today, guys. Start today. I may ask you next, next week, how many of y'all took a 10-minute walk holding hands, you know, or sitting on the rocking chair, uh, or if you have a, a, a swing, sitting together in the swing on the front porch. Now, that's intimacy, and I mean that with all my heart. That's intimacy. That's just doing life together. That says, I love you, and I don't want anybody else sitting in this swing except for you. And you're my partner. Through the thick and the thin, the, the, the highs and the lows, you're my partner, and I choose you, and I choose you all over again, just like I did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago. I choose you to be my partner in this whole thing. That's protection around our marriage. Let's pray together today. Father, God, we, we talked, uh, Father, this morning, very practical things. And yet, Father, I, I see in the hearts of, of our folks, just like anybody, we struggle with this, Father. We want to have such Christ-honoring, biblically-based, covenant-based marriages. And yet we have this thing called selfishness. We have this thing called pride. We have this thing about you know, not wanting to, to be the first one to say, I'm sorry, Father. We have all these things that Satan doesn't even have to tempt us with. They're just part of that old man. But, Father, I do believe that Satan has put attack and, and placed, Father, just this roaring line attitude on marriage and this culture and this society. And so, Father, more than ever, Father, will you raise up biblically-based marriages, covenant-based marriages, Christ-centered marriages. Father, it is so easy for us to be the the moral police of this world, and say, well, that's not marriage, that's not marriage. Father, will you raise us up to, to show a shining example of what biblical marriage is to this world instead of just pointing out what's not biblical marriage? Let your people be the light in the darkness. And our prayer, our humble prayer before you, Father, this day, let it start with us. Little church Jefferson, Georgia, a small gathering of people, will you allow it even to start with us, that we would just make proclamation and we would just encourage one another and we would hold one another accountable that we want a Christ-centered covenant marriage. So we love you, Father. Thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world, Father. We don't have to fear Satan. Father, because you have given us, Father, now through your Holy Spirit, a power, not of timidity, but of this power. And Father, you are the transforming God of the gospel that can change old attitudes, old ways, and make new creations. And Father, we pray that for our marriage even this morning as we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.